You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Some of what you'll hear will be interviews with other mental health professionals or former and current clients. In this case, these interviews are voluntary, not conditional to the status of a person presently in therapy, and those interviews are not considered a therapeutic session or a recommendation for forms of treatment. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging in a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. Thanks for listening. Okay, today we'll be talking about love relationships and sex. I am very honored to have with me not just some of the most, but actually the most brave clinicians I know. If you've listened to the Mother Africa podcast, you're familiar with Natasha Campbell. Natasha is a therapist and professor. She teaches cultural diversity, competency, and inclusion. She collaborates with many um, corporations on creating inclusive organizational environments within Massachusetts and is the founder of the, and director of Multicultural Clinical Services, where she works at, with children, families, couples, and individuals. She is also a clinical supervisor and consultant. So for those of you wanting to improve upon your clinical skills and your practice, please make sure you reach out to her at multiculturalclinic.com. Satima Davis is a clinical social worker with over 15 years of experience with children, families, and couples. She's a certified Christian counselor with expertise in crisis management and solution-focused approaches. Satima is a clinical supervisor in Texas and is also an associate of Lewis and Associates here in D.C. You can find out more about Satima at lewiscounseling.org. Claudine Kirby is a clinical counselor. She has experience with crisis intervention, motivational interviewing, family systems, and care coordination. Claudine prim primarily focuses on overall health and well-being by providing insight into how the mind and body affects symptom presentations. She also works to provide insight and understanding of how behavioral patterns and subconscious choices can be challenged to lead a healthier lifestyle. She also provides psychoeducation on nutritional factors that impact the mood, brain, and our bodies. Claudine practices in Houston, Texas, and you can find out more about her at Heart to Heart Clinical Services. Raven is a licensed graduate professional counselor who is highly skilled in treating depression and anxiety by way of solution-focused therapy. She specializes in age-specific developmental stages, including social, behavioral, emotional, and co cognitive strategies. She is also associate with Lewis & Associates based in Washington, D.C. Ladies, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I wanted to focus on the female voice because even though I am a clinician, I am also a man. And I do know that some of the things that I, or um, advice or counseling I provide is through a male view. So um, I want to make sure that we are, you know, still focusing or giving the clinical side of things, but I'm also going to have my human hat on. So I hope you'll, you'll do the same. Um, so let's get into it. Our first topic is relationships. And I just want to know from a therapeutic perspective, working with couples, what are some of the common barriers to maintaining a healthy, intimate partner relationship that you've experienced in your practice? The main thing I see is communication. Okay. That's the biggest barrier for couples. Effectively, like how they 
Oh, effect. how they communicate, how they communicate, um, wanting to be heard and understood, but the delivery of the message sometimes falls flat. Thank you. Uh, I also think it has to do with um, um, people not able to express what they're thinking, their thoughts. I think that's a major thing. And it also relates to communication, but we, uh, most of us have grown up and was told that, you know, we are to be seen and not heard and that affects the way we express our thoughts or our feelings. So I think that's a component of um, the communication that Satma uh, spoke about. Yeah. Along with the communication piece, I was thinking of um, the work with a lot of couples is the pleasure. So I think a lot of times they lose pleasure for each other and mm. you don't have that pleasure space, then it's really hard to communicate because you're working out of resentments, you're working out of frustration. And, you know, pleasure is not a sexual thing. It's more of a sensual. It's just the thing that moves a person to want to listen or want to be present. So when working with the couples, I always have to like take steps back, all the way back to, um, you know, their purpose. What do they want in their what do they enjoy about each other? What they enjoy about each other because by the time they get to me, they're already, they're done, right? And that's that's the hard part. You know, couples work sometimes seems very um, short-lived because mm-hmm. um, you're trying to get to that place to, you know, what does this relationship need right now? So it's, it's, a lot of it is just um, those desires, right? You know, I always talk about, for me, you, t- you put the garbage out, I'm turned on. You know, that garbage goes out, I'm, I'm, I'm having a great day. So if you think about when one comes home and the garbage is not put out, you know, you ask for something basic, like you make me a cup of tea, you know, mm-hmm. you start to bark. And then we have this domino effect happening and, and the communication seems to be, I'm always, you know, over, just hyper aroused all the time. So, um, yeah. Do we ask though? So I, I get that point. Um, but what I've noticed is, you know, yeah, the garbage is out or you do these things or rub my feet without after a long day of work, but I have a lot of conversations about our people actually asking for what they need and understanding that it is sometimes an ask. Have any of you noticed that in, in sessions with couples? It it takes a level of vulnerability that I think sometimes our couples don't share with each other because from my, from my experience, just having that safe space. Mm to ask for the things that you actually need and not worry about feeling rejected or your feelings being um, not validated. So is no a rejection? No, it's not always a rejection. It depends on, it depends on what's going on. No is a choice. No is a choice. No, no can be a rejection. No, no is a choice. That's right. No is a but choice. But no can be a rejection if you're expecting a yes, right? What if I can't? Anyone are expecting? Yes. What if I can't meet? I think that's the problem. It's a problem. I think that's the problem. I think that's where people are dysregulated emotionally, right? So okay. you you have an ask and you're expecting something. So why ask? So you already have an ask. You're expecting, mm-hmm. you're not really asking. You're expecting your results, right? So if you start to, oh. you know, I have a couple I work with and, you know, this couple, um, 
ask her wife, she will literally ask, can we, can we talk? Once that happens, the wife is already like, oh my gosh, here we go. You're going to tense all these things. Now it's a trigger. Right. It's a trigger. You've triggered them. So I, you know, I'm training them. Can you not ask and just go into it? Just go talk. Right. Let's talk. And they had a wonderful two weeks. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so, you know. so, so should we reframe asking as now like something I'm asking to get what I want? I'm asking as exploration, more um, inquiring about something Not I'm going to ask you to rub my feet and I'm going to expect you to rub my feet. And if you don't rub my feet, that means you don't love me. As opposed to what are your thoughts on rubbing feet or this thing or how this shows up in a relationship? Is that what you mean, Natasha? When Absolutely. taking out the expectation. It's the curiosities, the vulnerabilities, all of that stuff that you have to be willing to, to step into in a relationship. And unfortunately, um, you know, when we, we have a learned those skills. We mentioned growing up, you know, hearing you know, those. So, you know, a lot of that is how we were raised, right? Right. We bring this set of issues, a set of problems, set of traumas into our relationship. You're not just right. dating that person or partnering or union that one person. You're dating their great greats. Uncles, cousins, neighbors, you know, siblings, you're dating all of them. Right. So um it's it's that piece as well. So it's 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 like unlearning, unlearning these behaviors. Much of what we have we have learned, we have to learn unlearn to uh to uh go further in relationships. Yes. Raven, did you have something? Yeah, just really quick. And I think one of the things that I've seen is that both partners in like whatever respective relationship lack empathy. And so I think it's really, really important to like bathe your understanding, your expectations and your words and relationships and grace and empathy, understanding, like she said, that we're both coming to this situation with a myriad of experiences and different traumas and vulnerabilities that I may not have been able to express previously. And now all of a sudden I'm expected to give all of this and then show up loving and romantic and have all these expectations that relationships put on us. And so if we both come into this relationship with that understanding that you may have your stuff and I may have my stuff too, but how can I best help you navigate this relationship in the best way for me and for you. So it's almost like remembering that we're a team and this isn't individuals, right? We're, we're a team now. And so one side of the team is losing. That means the whole team is losing, not just me. Or not, Absolutely. You know, right, so. Right. so if I'm su summarizing um, correctly, what I'm hearing is to address some of the common barriers in relationships. The first thing would be to be curious, not expected when asking right. comments or exploring means. And the second would be to practice grace and empathy. When it comes to interpersonal relationships, family, friends, coworkers, things like that, um, I have noticed, and no offense to any of my uh, brothers who are listening, I love y'all. I always say that, you know, in session, you know I do, and I'm not trying to be offensive. But the plight of black men, we are some lonely people. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and it's outside of intimate partner relationships because I find that we either make our partner the, our world or we become the world for our partner. But the exploration of adult relationships after high school, after college, um, it almost seems anxiety provoking. Um, so what do you think some barriers are for just interpersonal relationships when it comes to our community, black men for me, um, white women uh, and those who, who you work with? I think uh, most men are not intentional um, when they sought, when they seek out friendship. And you have to be intentional 
And uh, one thing I noticed with women, um, <clears throat> we're more intentional with friendship than men. We find, um, we, we um, look to women, to other women for comfort, um, for, um, you know, if we want to vent, we can call them and talk to them. And I think men are just not, men are afraid to be vulnerable. And so um, I think that is a barrier for, especially black men, right? Of course, you'll see the black men who have something in common. What do they do? Um, they have basketball and um, uh, football in common. So they bond, um, you know, but apart so they bond that, over things, not right. actually cultivating a deeper relationship or interpersonal relationship. Exactly. Exactly. Tangible or something evidenced in this world for us to have a commonality over. Correct. Correct. Natasha, did you have No, oh, you go ahead, Raven. No, go on, Raven. <laughs> just really quick. Um, I think it's a bit deeper, so if I can just have a second to explain this a bit. Mm -hmm. Like, when it comes, and I, I read a lot about this, actually, because I'm recognizing the crisis that we have with, like, the suicide rates, mm -hmm. and obviously homicide and suicide rates, and it's really, really bad right now. It's always been bad, but it's, like, increasingly bad right now. So, anyway, I preface that with that, because... Um, when you think about the breakdown in relationships and even just like how marriage rates are declining and like traditional relationships are declining, I think you have to look directly at the issues plaguing men in this society right now, right? Which a lot of it is because in an increasingly automated world, number one, and then in a world where women are becoming increasingly more successful and autonomous from men and needing men as far as like finances and those sorts of things, you have men who are in like a subset, large subset of men who are just in the middle of the road. Like, what the heck is my purpose? Who am I actually supposed to be? Because traditional masculine roles are diminishing more and more. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because as a highly educated woman, I appreciate that, right? I appreciate that uh, playing field starting to level out more. But we do have to address the elephant in the room, which is, so how do we now raise up a new breed and generation of men that find their role in a relationship, be it platonic or romantic relationships? And what does that role actually look like? And how can we as a society help define that role? So I guess getting back to that question how it's created a breakdown in the interpersonal relationships. I think it's because men are literally feeling purposeless. So they just retreat all together. And now they're in their like respective homes. And not, like I said, you see the homicide and suicide and violence rates skyrocketing because they feel like hopeless almost. Um, so it's not necessarily an excuse because like, as a black woman, I want a good man too, right? To be able to experience all the good pleasurable things with. But I think it's more important for us to take a more societal look at it and say, how can we help? Because I think men are suffering right now, specifically black men. So for you, it takes a community to connect black men or to create the interpersonal relationships. We need support from other folks. Yeah, I get right. I guess the answer, I guess the answer isn't just so black and white, but I think all of that provides perspective and right. okay. with them. You know what I mean? And so, you can understand why they're struggling a bit in relationships, I think. And, and my apologies, you know my brain, I'm slow. So I don't mean to water things down to black and white. I'm just trying to trying to put it together in my, my head. Um, Natasha, did you have something? You know, when you first asked the question, I was thinking about how we've learned friendships and interpersonal mm. skills is growing up. And part of that, I do feel not just for men, but also for women. And then, you know, thinking of, you know, just blackness alone. We tend to sometimes attach ourselves differently to folks where we have this attachment where one person becomes everything mm -hmm. and um, it, it, it doesn't do, it doesn't serve as a purpose, right? So it's for black men to even feel safe enough 
to attach themselves to many is really hard for them, right? Because of how they right. look in the community. You know, so women already have a tendency to already um, feel comfortable in certain spaces where we can hug and hold and touch and dance with each other and still feel that love and call and cry, even if it's just with that one friend, right? But I do feel that we have to practice growing our community, right? That's, that's you know, that's neither here or there. But think about um, Black men's ability to actually show that kind of natural love, right? Or to be able to just cry. It's, you know, yes, it is that suicidal, homicidal space. We've done a poor job just in our society of making men believe they're not allowed to feel, right? Mm. That, you know, boys don't cry. We have to really think about what and what has done for years. We have to look a certain way. And, you know, masculinity is like this. And Black women, I you know, I'm going to speak for myself. I, you know, I could be, I could be honest, raising a Black boy, really believing you have to, you know, have to protect his life, right? So try to keep him a certain way to ensure that he's going to survive this. And really thinking that, you know, a man should look like this or be like this or act like this to be a man. So I'm taking away the pieces of them that they truly need to feel and to be soft. Because if you're, you know, if you don't have that soft, I'm thinking, well, you're not a man enough. You know, this is, this is, so, so we, I don't, you know, I think we, there has to be responsibility in society also as a woman that um we have boxed black men in you know we have put the same fear society has put on black men that we also have and it just goes back to so much traumas right on both sides and then looking at how we attach ourselves relationships one person can't be your everything you know it's right just can't you know if i'm your, if i'm your partner i could be a love i could be a great cook but I'm probably not the person that you want to do a business plan with. So now you're mad at me because I can't connect to you. Or that you like, we we can't do that, right? We have to really start learning to grow differently. Um, take on some accountability for things that have been done, you know, and uh, and also you know, black men also have to take accountability for things that have been done as well with the you know, with and if you could speak black women. So there's there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to yeah. digest there. Thank you for saying that because I, I actually say this in session quite a lot and everybody probably knows who you are <laughs> if it works with me. I just last week I had a young brother in session. We were talking about uh, his relationship and getting his needs met. And I literally said, well, I don't ever feel what you're feeling because I have Satima who I know I can cry on the phone with. I have Natasha, who I know I can call and talk about business or be angry. I have Claudine, who I know I can call in for motivation or for nutrition, for whatever I need to meet my goals. I have these pockets of people that I know I can get filled from. Unfortunately, they're mostly women, but I do have some brothers in that list. But I also feel that I give back to, to each of you in these different relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to, to realize, like, like you said, um, Natasha, uh, everything can't be wrapped up in one person, and that's okay if I'm not my person's everyone, or they're not my everyone, right? Um, so if I'm hearing this all correctly from that one, we just, one, have to create space for men to be human, explore all the human condition, the the emotions that go with that, um, create a community, and w- work with those or find um, relationships outside of just one person. And then the last would be have a sense of responsibility to each other. Is that nice? I think 
I think it's also giving black men permission to be okay with their feelings. So Mm. um, as Natasha was saying before, you know, so where does it really start? Right. So if you're raised, if you have a nephew or you're raising a son and they cry for the first time because somebody's hurt their feelings, how do you address that? Do you tell them to stop crying because you're a boy, you shouldn't be crying? Or do you embrace that and do you acknowledge their feelings and let them know that that's okay? So where does it really start for our young men that's going to grow up to be black men, right? So even when you're saying, Philip, um, you have this support system with everybody here on the panel. When did you start to feel okay with expressing how you truly felt? When did you start to feel that it was safe enough for you to be vulnerable with all of us in whatever aspect of your life that we, you know, bring something to. And now for, for those of you who are listening, don't take this advice because it's problematic. But for me, um, I became comfortable when I had no other choice. It was mm-hmm. either express what I'm feeling or find a way to get it out or literally emotionally or physically die, right? And, and you don't want to wait if you have a young brother that you're raising or if you have a brother who's listening or you're a father, you don't want to wait till we get to that point um, because it's extremely dark. And for some of us, we may not have the wherewithal. Thankfully, I've met you and, you know, in school or working together or whatever it has been for, I think, almost 20 years of relationships with some of you that, that we've had. Thankfully, um, because of my career, I was able to grab onto something in that place. But unfortunately, it didn't come till much later in life. Um, and it was because I had no other choice but to find it. Um, and I would hope that we don't wait that long. Yeah, I think what's missing from the conversation is intimacy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happens um, when, when you ask a man what intimacy is, most men, and they'll tell you it has to do with referring to being intimate, you know, it's sex, mm-hmm. right? And part of um, sustaining interpersonal relationship requires intimacy, right? The closeness, the connection that you have with one person. And a lot of black men don't know what intimacy is. Yeah. They think it's sex. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm there, put... there lies a confusion. I want to push back on this because this is great. Um <laughs> And I agree with you. I'm not pushing back because I agree with you, but I'm pushing back because I feel like we've been hitting the men uh, a bit. But I need to be honest about my experience with black women. <laughs> when I have tried to create moments of intimacy in friendships and in, in uh, intimate partner relationships, man, is it difficult? Because I don't know if, <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to be um, blacklisted or whatever they say about social media or whatnot. But I don't know if this is a real thing. There is a certain level of toxic femininity that impacts our ability, my at least from my experience, my ability to be intimate. Because I've had been in relationships where, if any of you know me, I have cooked for you, right? And for me, being in the kitchen with my mother, that was the only time because she was a single black woman raising with a lot of kids, right? That was the only time I spent a lot of time with her and got to know who she was. So I am the only boy in my family, all my sisters, and I'm the only one who can really cook, right? So if you know me, if we've been in it together, I've fed you, right? And I have been in relationships where women have questioned my sexuality just because of it, right? 
And that used to have when the last time I got came to the text, it's like, Patrick. <laughs> so, quote, quote, I remember. <laughs> Trying to remember when. Okay. <laughs> um, but so in one relationship, my masculinity, my sexuality is questioned because I'm in the kitchen and I'm trying to express my love. Food or feeding someone is the way I express that I love you. In other relationships, I'm fighting women so I can open the door for them, right? So it's just two extremes. And Natasha, you and I, last time we were visiting, you had a real issue with me opening doors, walking on the right side of the street, all of these things. So I've seen it on both spectrums. I can't be too far left and I can't be too far right. So what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, So I would like to say that I don't know what that would be surmised as, but I would like to say that sometimes black women, just because of my experience, I'm not blaming black women, but I only date black women. Um, have made it a little difficult to explore intimacy in all forms of relationships, friendships and partner relationships, and just at any level of a relationship. For me. I agree. I totally, I agree. totally agree. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier, where we have created this culture. You know, yeah. it's like full responsibility of that space. Because I, I, I'm totally agreeing with you. It's, it, you know, there's this thing, you know, specifically as a Black woman, to be independent. We mean laugh about it. We may not want to talk about it. Let's just be really clear about it. You know, I am a single mom, you know, twice in a row for 24 years now. And at the end of the day, there's a, a huge part of that world to me that is extremely independent. Not because I woke up one day, that's what I wanted, because I've had no choice, right? So there's a trusting factor of allowing a Black man to come into my space and not, um, provide or, or leave or be resourceful with something. You know what I mean? So it's it's hard to date. It, it really is. And it's not just because of just opening the door. I love chivalry. It's not that. But then there's a there's a point, there's a place to where I don't want you to feel like you have to save me. You know? And and, and it's and it's hard. It's like this this, this whole and I and I get it. Because you're speaking of a fact that, Philip, you kept acting like you had to save me in the streets of D.C. That's your perception. That's your perception. That's your perception. Natasha, I Natasha, I know, Natasha, I know I can't save you. I know for a fact there is nothing I can do to save you. But I also know I'm a man of a particular set of skills, right? And I should put those skills to work whenever I am a sharing space with another Black person whether it's a woman or a man or whatever. Some some of my brothers, I cook for. It makes them uncomfortable. But I, I'll cook a meal, I'll make breakfast. I just went on a retreat and I made breakfast for everybody and I'm making dinner. Because these are my ways of showing I love you, that I support you, that I care about you, right? So I don't think I need to save anyone. It's just it's one of the ways that I have learned to express what I'm feeling. Because sometimes me just saying I love you gets really confused for people. Right. Can, I, can I tell you? I was the last time I told that person you love me. Hey, all the time, all the time, and I okay. think when I hang up and say, "Hey, I love you," I, I get up, oh, up, oh, love you tip, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we're still learning. We're unlearning. You mean you have some? Can I go back to a point that Natasha made okay. um, when she was speaking of like just being a single mother and always being independent? And as Black women, we're taught. That we're taught that from a young age but sometimes I wonder if we're just in like survivor mode or on autopilot because I remember 
telling Philip about um, driving to Austin with my grandfather and my mom and everyone and getting out to pump the gas. And my grandfather got out the car to pump the gas. And I was like, no, 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 no. I got it. And he looked at me like, what's wrong with you? And I and I really had to check myself for a moment because I was raised to believe, you know, a man is supposed to do X, Y, and Z. But then, you know, as you get older, life teaches you other things and you learn to become more dependent upon your on yourself. And so sometimes I think as women, just to kind of piggyback off of that, I think sometimes it's we're on autopilot, right? It's just like we're so used to doing these things. It's not necessarily because we don't want a man to do it for us because we do. But like Natasha said before, I think it's just that level of trust and you're just so used to doing it for yourself for so long and getting things done that you forget sometimes it's okay to allow somebody to open the door, to pump your gas, to, Hey, get on the other side of the sidewalk kind of thing. So I just wanted to bring that to light. Sometimes I just think we're in survivor mode and we don't even realize it. We are. See, that's exactly what it is. And unfortunately, Philip, there's not a lot of Phillips running around trying Perfect. to open the doors. <laughs> and when it is open, I'm like one of these people, I'm loud about it. Oh my goodness, chivalry is not dead. Like I'm loud about it. I'm like, like, wow, you know, just to be seen is very difficult by black men. I just got to put it out just to be seen. Like I'm in the room, I'm here. Can you just, you know, if you, you know, to get, get a, get a hello. So, you know, um, that's another topic. That's another topic, but just to be seen. So there's not a lot of flips running around doing it. And that's, and that's the part where we often take accountability, you know, what we have, you know, what we've learned, what we're doing. And I think this, I don't know, culturally say things are so different, you know, it's just so different. Um, natural things that you could do can come off and it could be, well, you know, no one. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Can't. I think the overall message to Black men is that, you know, they can't be vulnerable. They can't show their emotions. They, you know, there's a role that they play. And, and if they step outside of that role, they are looked upon as a wuss or, a, you know, whatever word or description they, they describe these uh, men. And I think it, it, it starts from, I think, the mom and boy relationship, right? The hugs, the kisses, um, the relationship, how that relationship developed. I don't yeah. think, yeah. And part of the problem is men do not want to get close to other men because they have not developed that part of their um, uh, social connection, so to speak. Yeah. I was in session the other day and I asked the 18 year old, when was the last time one of his parents hugged him? He couldn't tell me. And it's, mm. if you're listening, hug a black man. Just, yeah. <laughs> or hug a black woman. You know, um, because I, I, for me, I, and I told my story, and uh, I stopped being looked at as, as a young child or as a little boy at seven years old. I knew at seven years old, people started looking at me not like a child anymore. Someone who needed comfort, someone who needed com counsel, someone who needed love. Um, it changed at seven years old. So I'm wondering what at what point do we stop looking at, at men as folks that, who don't need hugs 
Right. So I ask, you know, people, can can I have a hug? Like, you know, uh, uh, or do you want a hug? Um, so hug the black man. Right. <laughs> um, uh, is it cool to move on to love? We got anything else about relationships, Walter? I just say one quick thing. Sure, Raven. Yeah, just on this one quick thing. Um, I would also invite black men to have grace on um, black women in, with regards to relationship, all women, but especially black women, because I know what I hear so often guys say is just like, oh, well, your feminine energy invites me to be in my masculine energy and do all those chivalrous things for you and that sort of thing. And so if I'm not doing that, it's because you're not giving me the energy that I need to cultivate that kind of space between us. But then one thing that I always tell them is that like, the same sort of toxic backgrounds that you guys grew up in, the black men, obviously all black men or black people didn't grow up in toxic But as a collective, we've experienced a lot of trauma as a people. We can all agree to that. But so the same fatherless households and the same poverty-stricken neighborhoods that you grew up in, black men, we also did too. And so we're responding in the same way that you are. And so, yeah, it may not be the best or the most feminine or or the most soft like other subsets of races of women but again we went through those traumatic experiences right there with you right and so we're trying to navigate all of that dark stuff too and also carve out an identity while also being the breadwinners and being the people who are you know what i mean like we're under the same amount of stress that you are that black collective experience is it's across the board so just have grace it's just the same as i'm trying to have grace for you very good point because it makes me want to think of it or give another tip what works for me is i always ask did you mean to hurt me intentionally or was that unintentional? Because I remember specifically sitting at a dinner with someone who I shared birthday with. <laughs> we were trying to explore the concept of dating. She was really trying to convince me I was gay because of all these things I do that remind her of like femininity or whatever. And I, I, mind you, I'm raised by a black woman. Uh, my relationship with my father it is what it is. But all the things that I knew about connecting, love, showing someone expression of care and concern, all came from a woman. So I'm going to model that. Yes, I can cook. Yes, I'll clean for you. Yes, I'll make sure there are details. Yes, I'll be extremely romantic and all of these different types of things. So I had to stop and think, are you intending to hurt me right now? Like, I'm not, I guess I'm exposed. Yes, I'm vulnerable. And you just literally stabbed me, right? You're attacking my sexuality now because of how I'm showing up, trying to show up for you in this relationship. So instead of me internalizing that and responding to what I think this person was doing, I asked, you know, I said, is this intentional? Is this just some deep rooted stuff we need to process? Um, obviously we're not in a relationship now. <laughs> well, I'm not with that person, but after doing that, it helped. It very much helped to understand that this is just some trauma we're taking or bringing into this place because of the system, because of our world. And I, cause I can take unintentional hurt. What I cannot take is doing it on purpose. So I would say, if I can leave that, definitely clarify um, when those things are shown up. Anything else on that? Cool. Should love be unconditional? Love can be unconditional, but you can still have boundaries. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. Can you tell me? So I tell couples that all the time. Like, you can love someone, but... It, that doesn't give a person permission to hurt you, to belittle you, to do things like as you were just speaking intentionally to hurt me. So I can still love you even though you've hurt me, but that doesn't mean I still need to have that relationship with you anymore. Because unconditional love is just that, loving a person despite of who they are, but you can still set boundaries for yourself. Yeah, it should be. 
Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead uh, Raven. Just really, really quick. Um, I think I think the the very essence and nature of love is unconditional, right? I think it, it it just is just because, right? Or that's like the the definition, like I said. But I think because of that, because it's so precious and so unconditional, I think you just have to handle it with extreme care. And so, like you said, um, I think you just have to ha- create boundaries around it and parameters around it because it is so precious and unconditional and yeah, it, it it deserves like an extra layer of protection and preservation. Absolutely. I, I when when you think about it, yes, it should be unconditional. But are we dealing with reality here? What's the reality? You know what I mean? Yeah, what is um, because we all have we all have um um we all hold people uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We all have expectations. Yes, and that in in itself is unconditional. But I mean, I see that. Well, the expectation, that expectations are can be conditional if you are not able to accept a person for who they are, right? So that's what unconditional love is about: is being able to accept a person for who they truly are. But I think that's what we call short in our community, especially parents. ideally, ideally, that's what it should be. But do we practice that? No, like if it's not honest. love, then right? I'm thinking if it's not unconditional, then it's not love. Or we're speaking okay. of different objective okay. pieces of love, right? So then we have to name those subjective pieces of love. Because you know, if I love you, I love you, regardless right. of the harm or hurt you've caused. It doesn't mean that I like that feeling. It doesn't mean that I'm going to continue with that. That's where my bind. That I have to start checking myself and know what I what my self awareness is what my limit what my limits are how much I can take is a take away from my love I always question that right so if you love someone you love them and I don't think I don't think we have to we should you know try to put love in a box it's not about love it's about all the connections of love right so just because I love you doesn't mean you have a right to my body to hurt me and harm me that's right complete different come that's something different that's something where we have to start really naming that needs to be intentional right that truly needs to be intentional and i'm piggybacking off the pleasure piece if i know these things that i desire if i know the things that i need for myself right then i'm gonna feel like i'm orchestrating the love a little bit more clearer for me so you know love is not just geared towards an intimate space of unionship with a personal partner love is love mm-hmm. and i think that's what we have to start learning how to love you know, right. I, I think we, we lose love, we lose compassion, we lose empathy. You know, so mm-hmm. we have to work towards love and we to work on our boundaries. I think it's all about boundaries. And, and, just don't and we, talk, we talk about it too, um, and, and I hear with you, I just want to add to that, loving who a person is. Because sometimes it, we like to say that unconditional or conditional love is dependent on how you're showing up. I can't accept you this way because of my religion. I can't accept you this way because it's something, an ideology or a belief I don't um, uh, agree with or whatever it might be. In our community, I feel like, especially with parents, because I work with young black kids, and I find particularly for um, my young teenagers, black men who are um, or those who identify as men, who, who I work with, their parents try to pretend like their love is conditional. Right. I don't agree with how you show up in the world. So I'm restricting my love from you. I can't love you because of who you want to be or, or, or what you want to do with your life or how you choose to live. 
And and I just want to say we need to add or figure out that piece as well as a collective that we're able to love someone or hope to love someone unconditionally, not just what they do or give or how they treat us, but who they are, um, I think is really important for our community. You're listening to the after session, but we're not done yet. Make sure you look out for part two. Be good to yourself.